This is not pulling. Is it stuck? Oh, it wasn't on. (laughs) (laughs) It was lit up, so I thought it was on. It was in party mode. Shut the fuck up. friends and welcome back to season two of summer twilight book club the podcast where two real life adults with advanced degrees disappoint all of their grad school professors by putting their clinical skills to use analyzing the four most contentious books of their teenage years the one and only twilight series by my personal nemesis stephanie meyer you know uh my professors might not that be upset because they didn't think i was gonna use my clinical skills at all because i did actively drop that part of the degree You know, I feel like, all things considered, this is probably a pretty low-stakes way for me to practice my clinical skills. So, maybe it's for the best. I think Twilight Social Work is self-care. I agree. Anyways, I'm Kat. And I'm Sahana. Uh, For those of you who are uninitiated, welcome. Uh, Also, we're so sorry for what you're about to endure. I am not. Um, And honestly... What the fuck took you so long to get here? Yeah, like, what the hell? We're really funny. Like, go back. You should go. We're, I think the first season is quite good. Um, but for real, so a brief primer for those of you who are wondering what we do here. It's like, what, like, um, what the fuck do we do here? I have been asking myself this for months. Um, so in short, though, for those of you who are not aware, Katie and I are high school best friends turned feminist social workers who started joking a couple of years ago about doing a full reread of the Twilight series because we hate ourselves and love to ruin our own lives. That's true. Um, I moved to the Pacific Northwest about six months ago, so it seemed like the right time to commit because what endears you to new co-workers like being a millennial with a Twilight podcast whose only knowledge about what Oregon is like comes directly from their perception of Forks, Washington. Um, please nobody tell my coworkers about this podcast. Uh, whereas I never shut up about my podcast, including to the attorneys. I mentioned the recording season two today, and one of the attorneys, who I didn't really know listened, offhand said, yeah, I was wondering when season two was going to come out. I noticed you stopped recording. Do you ever wonder about, like, which people in our lives listen to this podcast without us knowing about it? Like, are there just peripheral people that we haven't thought about in years that listen to this yes, podcast? Yes, because I ran into my coworker, Beth. We mentioned, not my coworker, my re- old roommate, Beth, who I mentioned in a previous episode. And we were just like, oh, shout out to Beth if you're listening. And I was thinking that was a joke, that there is no way in hell that Beth was ever going to listen. But then I ran into her by chance at a restaurant. She was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to listen to your podcast, by the way. I've been meaning to. And I was like, oh, no. And I was like, what? You know about did this? She, did she say anything about us shouting her out? She has not messaged me yet. I don't know if she's actually listened. But if you are listening, oh, Beth, boy. if you made it to here, welcome. Hi, Beth. Um, anyway, Beth and everyone else, we are here to steward all of you through the series that taught us a lot about bad writing a little about vampires, and precisely nothing about how to create (laughs) healthy relationships while simultaneously embarrassing ourselves and everyone we love. Thank you so much for being here. Really? Thank you. Um, So if you're feeling frightened, if you haven't read Twilight or listened to the first season of our podcast, no worries. I'm here to guide you on that journey as quickly as possible. Here's what you need to know to understand where we are now. 
Take us through it. Okay. Bella Swan was a 17-year-old pasty white brunette from Phoenix, Arizona. When her mom decides to follow her bliss by running off with her minor league <laughs> baseball player boyfriend, Bella... <laughs> I, I'm so sorry. I just can't even, like, keep myself together while you're condensing the plot of this book because it is so fucking absurd. You can't see me, y'all, but I'm just side-eyeing, uh, <laughs> side-eyeing Sahana. And now I'm going to pick something off I'm my so mic, sorry. and you all have to listen to me pick this off my mic. Oh, man. Can you hear that? What is it? I think it's no. lotion. Why is there lotion on your mic? We're not even questioning that. I don't think, I don't think I need an explanation for that. Uh, Anyways. <laughs> okay. So... What does Bella do? So she does after finding out that her mom is is gonna go move somewhere with her minor league baseball player boyfriend. Uh, she does the only logical thing. Uh, she exiles herself to her father's home in Forks, Washington, known for being one of the cloudiest places in the continental U.S. Uh, Claim to fame. Yeah. So Forks is a small as a, t- a town so small that every dude there is just so glad to finally meet a girl who never saw them pick their nose that they're all obsessed <laughs> with our dull bitch of a protagonist. Because let me tell you, y'all, Bella Swan makes Plank from Ed and Eddie seem like <laughs> it has a lively personality. Uh, oh, sorry, a lively, actually, and notable personality. The only notable uh, straight from canon facts uh, you need to know about Bella is that she has a car crash fetish. Stephanie Meyer tells 100% us- 100% provable with textual evidence. Yeah, Stephanie Meyer tells us this between the lines, very clearly. Uh, she loves edging. Also very clear. Uh, actually, that came straight from from Stephanie Meyer's uh, mouth. Um, and the go-to item in that bitch's closet is a long khaki skirt. Do not get me fucking started about Bella Swan's khaki skirt. Bella! And the lack of representation that it received in the first Twilight film. I will go to my grave on this hill. Anyway, Bella quickly falls into a group of people that she will never appreciate or cherish as much as they deserve, but is hyperfixated in a group of stone-cold hotties, the Collins and Hales. These extra-sexy teens are all adopted children of a young doctor and his wife, but are also maybe all dating each other? It's fine. Except- It's all fine. Yeah. Except for one, a bronze-haired boy whose favorite new hobby appears to be throwing death glares Bella's way. Bella is confused, upset, and hyper-aware of him until one dumb-dumb boy named Tyler nearly crashes his car into Bella, only to have it super stealthily stopped by Edward's bare-ass hand. Bella is flummoxed at how this could occur. And also mad that her car crash fetish fantasy was foiled, but that's neither here nor there. I disagree. This was still a car crash, that's why she was into it. She doesn't want to oh, yeah, die in a fair. car crash. She just wants to, like, be in one. Almost die in a car crash? And she did almost yeah. die. That's why she's so hyperfixated in Edward. We just figured it out during the summary. Anyways. Oh, amazing. Bella is, uh... Yeah. She's upset. She's confused. She wants to know what's going on. And after a solid 90 pages or so, she eventually comes to find out that Edward is a vampire. But not a normal vampire. A vegan vampire who only eats lions, tigers, and bears. And on top and mountain of mountain lions and mountain lions, <laughs> sorry, mountain lions, uh, tigers and bears, tigers, and his brother eats bears. And on top of that, <laughs> he can read minds, but not Bella's. Her mind is mysterious. Possibly the only reason we can surmise that he's interested in her. Well, 
That and the fact that her blood smells extra super sexy to him. Uh, yep. Yeah, that's what makes our heroine special, is that her mind is a fucking steel trap. And and her blood smells kind of good, I guess. Hot. So the next third of the book Great. can pretty much be summarized as Edward is an emotionally manipulative and indecisive dick. Bella has no sense of self-preservation and is possibly very into vore. And vampires- Definitely. Yes. And uh, vampires sparkle in the sun. So things are going, like, fine, I guess, until one day at a totally normal and not at all baffling vampire baseball outing, a group of non-vegan vampires <laughs> show up. They immediately detect that Bella is a fucking gross-ass human, and one of them, James, becomes hell-bent on chomp-chomping away at her. With the help of her vegan pals, Bella runs off to Phoenix, only to have James come there anyway for an incredibly anticlimactic showdown. Bella is bitten. But Edward sucks all the poison out like 12 seconds later, so there really weren't any stakes there at all. Bella had- Nope. Yeah. Bella had her body all sorts of fucked up, goes to the hospital, and then just sort of like goes home and goes to prom against her will. She yells at Edward for not turning her into a sexy vampire, and Edward gaslights her, or physically restrains her, or something, probably something like that. And that, my dear readers, brings us to New Moon, the book that made me cry more as a teen than Mitski does as an adult. Yeah, that sounds about right. That's the book. But, uh, honestly, though, real quick before we start, uh, I know I was doing that very rapid fire, but I still had a, a few thoughts that I now realize, like, in addition to now realizing that she, uh, has a car crash finish and she's obsessed with Edward because she almost got into a car crash with him, I also had, like, 18 other questions that came up that I'm going to ask you now. I'm so sorry. Do. I can't wait. Okay, so, the one... That just, like, fucking struck me. Uh, if vampires only don't go out during the day because of the sun, like, how is the Pacific Northwest not just, like, fucking overpopulated with vampires? This is a really great question because a question that I had, sort of in this similar arena, was if there is a whole vampire coven living in Alaska, what do they do for the, like... I don't remember. How many months of the year is it where Alaska, it's just, like, sunny all the time? Like, it'll be, like, two in the morning, but the sun is still out. Do you know what I'm talking about? I don't know. They just, like, go underground? They come visit Forks? I don't know. Do they have underground bunkers? Like, the underground bunker in this season of Riverdale? Don't watch Riverdale. I haven't watched the season yet. Y'all didn't share. Bad. I will send you the login info. I will send you the login info, but the point is that, to, what? I don't know. I feel like, okay, like Stephanie for- Meyer's approach to vampire mechanics is only, like, there's only an explanation when it is convenient for her plot writing, and in every other situation, like, this shit it just falls doesn't apart. matter. It just falls apart. It just falls okay, apart. Okay, because, like, Michigan has a shit ton of cloud cover, so, like, am I, are we both surrounded by vampires right now? And, like, how I many- I think the answer is that we're just both surrounded by vampires. How many vampires exist? Like, what is the population density? And then, like, like, because, like, Do they you- say that they don't let other people in their town, and the other vampires are like, that's normal. Like, we'll stay out of your territory. How big is our territory? Because there's only, like, five of them. So where the fuck are the other vampires hanging out? Is it, like, just... Well, because I remember, like, when when the other vampire coven killed people in Seattle, 
the Cullens were like, oh, don't do that because people will be suspicious of us. But I No, no, they were fine with it in Seattle. They were fine with it in Seattle. They just said, don't do it. I don't think they were fine with it. Oh, it was Port Angeles. Yeah, it was when they got closer that they cared. No, they just said in our territory, don't do it. Like, don't do it around here. They didn't specify where that ended. And they were like, don't worry, we already ate in Seattle. Like, implying that we weren't hunting in your territory. So... What vampire coven is in Seattle? Or is there just not one? Where are they all living? I think I it's like questions. I think it's like humans where there's probably just like a bunch of like like Buffy the Vampire Slayer vampires just hanging out in like Seattle, like bumming it. Probably, Anyways, probably I had right. one other question okay. really quick. We can't talk about it very long. I'm gonna throw it out there. Actually, no. I don't even want you to answer. This is for the Twitter exclusively. I need you all to okay. tweet us at STBC podcast your answer to this question how thin can a cloud be until it makes some sparkle <laughs> is it the uv rays because you can get a sunburn when it's cloudy because one time so- you can. one time sahana and i hung out on a cloudy day we took really excellent photos of ourselves in a bathing suit oh my suit. god yes we went to belle isle and and it was cloudy as fuck sunburn, and i got a sunburn cloudy. so so would they sparkle well, like that? I, guess, I need no. I guess, we're not answering it. We want their creative answers. Okay. These are our questions. If anyone again is a how meteorologist thin, or some kind of light scientist. How thin can a cloud be until it makes them sparkle? And what part of the sunlight is what causes it to happen? Would a good sunlamp make them sparkle? Yeah. Oh my God. Would like a vitamin D light make them sparkle? Would Sunny D make them sparkle? Why anyway, do you make them sparkle? It's time to start New Moon. <laughs> a book? Oh, that, we haven't even touched New Moon yet. A book yet. that I am honestly Ooh. pumped to talk about. Like, what was your memory of reading New Moon for the first time? Just being so sad. What? Just listening to Paramore and being so sad. Was it your favorite? Is Of the series? Yeah. I think. I don't, okay, I don't think that it was my favorite of the series, and here is why. I was the twisted, impressionable youth that was, like, obsessed with Edward Cullen, so I was one of those teenagers that was fucking mad about New Moon because Edward was gone for the whole book. Okay, that makes sense. This makes sense why we have opposite feelings about this, because New Moon was by and away my favorite, because I was very much so Team Jacob, very adamantly. And so, oh, for people who are new to our podcast and who haven't listened before, uh, Sahana was Team Edward and I was Team Jacob, but we're like we're here together today as friends. Um, I think this is really an exercise in reconciling across differences. Yeah, I think everybody could learn from us. I think we're a really good example, but no, I cried so much. Oh my god, so okay, much. Okay, so also this book. for the book soundtrack, because for people who don't know, Stephanie Meyer releases a book soundtrack of the songs that she was thinking about during uh for each book. And if I am not mistaken, and I really don't think that I am, The Boy Who Blocked His Own Shot by Brand New. Oh, a hundred percent was on the sound was on this one. And if it's not, it is appropriate. Yeah, like, if it makes you less sad, I will die by your hand. That just is Bella Swan. That is the core of Bella Swan's being. Like, oh, God, just that whole fucking song. I just remember listening to it all the time. Uh, and, like, crying while clutching onto it in my bed. 
Oh, I a hundred percent listened to all of the like. Because doesn't he describe her as like smelling like this, like the smell before rain or something? Does he say that she smells like the smell before, or maybe well, maybe mean, like the, the smell before, the song, or maybe the smell Edward. before rain? Because I remember thinking it was like very much so, like on the nose. Just the fucking. Oh well, yeah, you're the, the smell before rain. rain. The you're the blood, blood in my Oh my god. Oh yeah, fucking, okay, wait. This is, no, god damn, just Edward, just the, call me a sippet. <laughs> I can't remember the two, but the, I'm betting I'm not. Listen, I can't talk about brand new anymore, because I'm just gonna get mad about Jesse. Yeah, Lindsay. fuck that, god so damn. That's gotta, incredibly true. Let's talk about the actual book. I, well, For reasons okay, well so beyond my understanding. Each book starts with a quote and a preface. I'm so proud of you for pronouncing preface like that. I'm so proud of me, too. Um, but I guess when you sell millions of copies of a book, like, you stick with what works, so... I... Okay, listen. This book starts out with a motherfucking Romeo and Juliet quote, and I can't decide if this is a step up or a step down from the starting quote of Twilight being literally from the Bible. Eclipse is definitely gonna start with a fucking quote from Michael Bay's Transformers. <laughs> almost wish that it just becomes self-referential so like the opening quote of breaking dawn is just like the um unconditionally irrevocably part of twilight the most embarrassing thing happened to me the other night i don't okay wait how how honest am i about this i don't know okay Listen, the stakes are not that high for me, so you just have to decide how vulnerable you want to be on our public-ass podcast. Okay, I'm just gonna- this is already my brand, so I guess I'm just gonna go here. I've been having yeah. very loving feelings when I come recently, and the, uh-huh. other, the other day I was masturbating, and I came, and then I literally thought about my fucking boyfriend, and I was like, I'm starting to understand that line. And I was like, this is the worst thing I've ever thought. My brain is poisoned. I could never recover from the person this podcast has turned me into. I Okay, sometimes I say that watching Riverdale makes me feel like I have brain worms. And I feel, I feel like Twilight is giving you... Like, emotional brain worms. Chris messaged me earlier today and said, wait, I figured out what you should wear when you visit my friends. And I said, what? And he said, a long khaki skirt. Oh. My god. No. He also keeps joking. I will not. He no, keeps no, no, no. I will not us. allow this podcast to turn you into the kind of person that owns in earnest a long khaki he skirt. Told me- I can't do it. I love you too much. Will you please read the intro quotation? After I say this. We are still in the <laughs> preface. Oh, uh, okay, fine. I won't, I won't say the next We part. have two chapters to get okay, to. Okay, okay. We had to get through a whole book, in my defense, also. That's true. This is true. Okay, the intro quote from Romeo and Juliet and not from Michael Bay's Transformers. I feel like I've really been watching quote. a lot of Boz Burgers and I'm really channeling Jean in my energy. <laughs> please, please read the intro. Please. These violent delights have violent ends and in their triumph die like fire and power, which, as they kiss, consume. 
from Romeo and Juliet. Oh, Act two, scene uh, six. I've never read okay. or seen Romeo and Juliet. You've never read? You've never seen, like, Leonardo DiCaprio, Claire Danes, Romeo plus Juliet? Nope. Oh, my God. Anyone want to watch it with me? I, listen. Okay. It's so good. So what happens Uh, in the preface? Besides the Romeo and Juliet quote, precisely nothing. Um, It honestly, so it relies on you having already read Twilight and knowing who Alice is and why she would be trapped by sunlight because Bella says something about like, oh, we're in the shadows and Alice said that this might almost kill us, but I, but she's trapped by sunlight, so I'm just going to do whatever. Um... I feel like the preface of New Moon comes in a little less hot than the preface in Twilight, but not by much, because Bella still is presumably about to die for something, quote, infinitely more precious than her own. Because what else is new? Which I think we can, right, I mean, and we can probably safely assume that that's Edward. The only other information we have is that she's somewhere sunny with a clock tower, and then they're surrounded by... Actually, that's not the only thing we know. Because the only thing we know is my favorite part about the preface, which is that... Which is... Which is that, okay, it literally says... Um, one second. Okay, it literally says, uh, the clock told again, and the sun beat down from the exact center point of the sky. So, like, the last book, it was, like, someone stepped forward to kill me. And this time, it's, it was noon o'clock, and that's the fucking, (laughs) that is, (laughs) that's the cliffhanger. That's the climax. It's like, it's noon, bitches. The sun is everywhere. Where are you gonna go? No shadows. Haven't you seen that episode of Rugrats when it's high noon? No shadows. (laughs) Oh my god. So that's it. And then we just jump right into chapter one, which is titled Party. Party Mode. Party Mode. Um, so <laughs> this chapter opens with Bella having some kind of vision of her dead grandmother, who she very generously <gasps> describes as looking like a dried <laughs> apricot, but with a puff of thick white hair. <laughs> Uh, really just such a way with <laughs> Bella Swan. Um, so I need her to read, realize... I need Bella Swan to read the fucking essay I wrote about the way that older women present themselves in the media versus how they're presented by others. It's a, it's Bella Swan could Bella fucking learn some things from my goddamn thesis. I think you're probably right. Um, so we then realize that Bella's dreaming that she's with her grandmother and has a lot of questions to ask her. Primarily, how the fuck does one astral project into dreams from the void? But that's <laughs> neither here nor there. Um, but then Edward also appears in her dream and she immediately starts worrying about how to explain to her grandmother that she's in love with an undead 200 year old marble man who glitters in the sunlight, which is a fair question because, okay, so like I feel for Bella in this moment because I have a hard enough time explaining what social work is to my grandmother, so I can't imagine having to explain that to like a supernatural being. I cannot explain Um, social work to my grandmother. She does not understand what I do. She constantly is calling me and being like, there's a job posting for a psychiatrist (laughs) or a psychologist. And I'm like, Grandma, I am not qualified for these positions. And she's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, I don't do therapy. I don't have a degree in psychology, like, I have a degree in psychology, I guess, but I don't have a, you know, I don't have a master's in psychology. Like, I don't have that. She's like, well, then what this do you do? This is further than I, this is further than I get with my grandmother because also there's a language barrier. She's so, always like, what do you do? And uh, I'm like, I do policy. And then she's like, what? Therapy? And I'm like, policy. Anyway, so Bella realizes that she has been looking in a mirror the whole time and that her grandmother is not actually with her. 
Um, and that she's actually seeing her aged self and not her grandmother is immediately horrified that she's aged while Edward has remained forever 17. He like kisses her on the cheek and says happy birthday or that he loves her or some shit. Um, and then she wakes up from the dream. We find out that it's her 18th birthday, which she's been dreading for months, presumably because it's a reminder that she continues the slow, inevitable march towards death while her boyfriend gains neither age nor common human decency. No, not at all. Um, so... She explains that she's mad because she's 18 and Edward will never be 18 because he's technically 17 forever. Um, so not which really. Brings me, brings me so early already to our first holy shit Bella go to <laughs> therapy moment of the season because it's fucking wild to me that this is the age difference that she's concerned about. Like she's mad that she's going to be functionally older than him. Not the fact that he's like 120 something years old older than her um, i think that's and also, it's almost i think that's like very indicative of how like teenagers think about age and like where they are relationally because i feel like when i was like 17 like the difference in even in months or something like meant a lot to me and like also i feel like i thought of like age as being like maturity being linked very specifically to ages and so so there's like something about her being 18 which i think honestly reinforces the point that I was about to make, which is that it almost seems indicative of the fact that she, like, wants to be less than him or smaller than That's him real. in every way possible. So, like, she's upset that she's 18 and he's 17 because now, like, it doesn't feel right if he's not the one with some kind of power or authority, which, like, That's so real. Go to therapy. Go to therapy. This is not what a healthy relationship dynamic should feel like. Um, yeah, because she thinks that, like, if she's older, he's going to, like, lose attraction to her. Because, again, going know. back to my thesis about how older women are presented in the media versus how they present themselves, like, women are perceived to be old so fast. So she's like, okay, he's physically 17. He's the most beautiful person on earth. If I wait too long, I'm going to look older than him. And he's not going to be interested in someone who's older because women are I always taught to, to think that you... I think yeah. you're right because the whole the whole crux of this like dream that she's having is that she's like sad that she's aging and the way that Stephanie Meyer represents that is to talk about her like physically seeing her own like wrinkled aged reflection and as if aging and as if aging is a bad thing because like if he turned her at 65 she would still live forever and he would still live forever and they would still have super strong bodies we have no evidence so i think that you're right that she like thinks that it is somehow about maturity i think it's also about he's been alive for like a whole hundred no i think it's both for sure anyway um so I just, again, would like to remind us that we're less than seven pages into this book and already we've hit the holy shit Bella go to therapy moment. So that's what we are on for New Moon. Oh, God. Um, so anyway. much therapy in New Moon. Oh, so much therapy in New Moon. So Bella wakes up and tells us that she's been dreading her birthday despite the fact that she had the best summer that anyone anywhere has ever had. But then she does not ever clarify why that is, which begs the question, what exactly do we think that Bella Swan was doing on her summer break? Because we know it was not getting dicked down by Edward Collins. Maybe rubbing on his thigh, which as we fucking recently found out fucking works for me. Uh. Oh, boy. Uh. uh like, I, what were they doing that summer that Bella Think about said? how nice it would be to have a, 
ice cold boyfriend in the middle of summer. Maybe she was just really happy because she doesn't have air conditioning in Charlie's house. And so she just kept laying in bed with Edward, who was keeping her cool at night. I had the best summer ever. I had the best summer ever. You know, heated mattress pads? Well, I have a frozen boyfriend. My electricity bill was so much lower than you bitches because I didn't turn the air on. Oh, man. Okay, so Bella wakes up. It's her birthday. She goes downstairs where good dad Charlie has lovingly bought her thoughtful and sentimental gifts, which Bella wastes no time complaining about because in case we've all forgotten since the last book, Bella's kind of a self-obsessed bitch. Like, it does not shock me at all that Bella's like, I'm not like other girls, uh, I'm the kind of person who hates my birthday. Because pretending to hate her birthday because it's cool not to care about shit. Oh, and because uh, she doesn't want people to pay attention to her. Right. But, like, I think that she's actually secretly deeply wounded if people don't pay attention to her. Which is why she makes such a big deal about telling everybody that nobody can talk about her birthday, okay? Like, it's not even a big deal. You know that Renee fucking forgot about it, like, eight times. Oh, yeah, and I think that's why she's now so precious about it. Um, anyway, Good Dad Charlie got Bella a camera. Renee got her a scrapbook, I think. Um, they're, like, lovely gifts. Um, and then she also complains about Alice getting her gifts, despite the fact that Bella unearthed a bunch of Alice's repressed trauma recently and nearly got half of her family murdered. (laughs) But, like, Fuck her for getting Bella a birthday gift, I guess. Oh, God. I didn't Um, think about that. Like, all of this from Alice's perspective? Shit. Yeah. Yeah. No. Bella's the worst. Uh, So Edward takes Bella to school, and honestly, nothing particularly important happens. Bella complains once again about how it's so terrible that she's so popular and everyone pays attention to her or something. I don't fucking know. Um, The most important piece of narrative information that we get here is a reminder that Edward and Bella have only been together for six fucking months. Like, Bella says something about in the last half year that Edward and I have been together. Like, everything that has happened in Isabella Swan's life since the beginning of the first book in this series has occurred in approximately half a year. Why is Bella not in therapy? I'm sorry, I'm so distracted by this because all I can think about is, like, the scene where we find that out and how he's touching her lips during it. It says specifically. I think I blocked that. It out. says specifically that he like reached out and traced her lips. Like Alice is standing there holding a gift. Bella's ignoring her and facing Edward. Edward's facing Bella and reaches out and starts tracing her lips while he Just talks. Touching her mouth. Just touching her mouth. Just touching her. Are mouth. Are you touching Michelle's mouth right now? No, I'm handing her the baby. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I could reach out and touch her mouth, though I don't think she would like that very much. <laughs> no one would like She's that very much, but Edward did it yeah, anyway. I oh, so what else so, do we find out? Um, the other things we find out are that Bella has a job now. I guess um, the elder Cullens have graduated, which um, means everyone but Alice Jeff- and Edward. Yes, um, Jessica and Mike have broken up, presumably because Mike's still in love with Bella. Which I say because Bella is very quick to tell us that Mike is copying Edward's casually disarrayed hairstyle, just like the boy that I had a crush on in middle school who then publicly rejected me and got his comeuppance when everyone he went to college with only knew him as Musty Bell. <laughs> Wait, is this, is this on the, is this, why, is this Joaquin? You cannot. Is this Joaquin? Think about it. Is, is it? this Joaquin Phoenix that you're talking about? 
Not Joaquin. Yeah, no. Everybody, right? No, no. No, who are you talking about? Yeah, the person that I'm talking about. I feel like you're using Joaquin Phoenix as, like, a pseudonym for them, expecting that I will know what connection you're making. Like, at the wedding. We do not. What Patrick said. Oh, yes. Yes, it is. It's Joaquin. Yes. That makes sense. It absolutely is. It's Joaquin Phoenix. Um, <laughs> this is great out of context. Joaquin Phoenix was Sahana's middle school crush, and as you all know, as fans of Joaquin Phoenix, everyone he went to college with knew him as Musty Balls. Musty Balls! Poor Joaquin Phoenix is getting thrown under the bus on this podcast for a no-shit white dude. Oh, man. Okay, Edward and Bella then just have a super casual conversation about dying by suicide. You know, as one Um, does. Oh, no, wait, hold on. I skipped a whole part. That doesn't happen yet. That happens uh, after Bella finds out. Oh, that they're going to throw him a birthday party. Birthday party. That they're gonna yeah, so they're gonna throw her a birthday party. Yes, I'm so sorry. I just skipped right ahead. Um, I got too excited about Edward being weird. Um, so the Cullens are throwing Bella a birthday party. She is pouting about it because she doesn't even care about her birthday, you guys. Um, and on the one hand, there's something kind of upsetting about the fact that the Cullens are like throwing her a very like extravagant party with a lot of attention placed on her, very clearly without her consent. Yeah. But on the other hand, I almost feel like. This is what she deserves for being such a little shit all the time. Like, you could at least acknowledge that they're going to the trouble of trying to make you feel welcome and cared for, mm-hmm. considering that they're all monsters. I and also know. that she probably hasn't even told anyone other than Alice and Edward that she doesn't want it. Like, if she had told Carlisle and Esme that she didn't want it, they probably would be like, oh, then we will stop it. I'm sure that they would. Like, Because they're like the adults I think of the family. Yes. Uh, but apparently Carlisle's not that much older than... How old was Carlisle when he got to the vampire? It doesn't matter. 23. Okay. Oh, God. Um. Okay. So, Edward takes Bella home, and they watch the Romeo and Juliet movie. And again, I will say it's the inferior one, because for the record, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio as Romeo gave me a mid-20s sexual awakening, <laughs> and I will stand by that performance forever. Um, Bella tells us that Romeo was one of her favorite fictional characters until I met Edward. I'd sort of had a thing for him. And actually, <laughs> I don't even know what there is to be said about this other than that, of course she says that. Uh, and I was so ready to make fun of this before I remembered that like two weeks ago, Facebook memories reminded me that I once posted a public status about being in love with Holden Cole. <laughs> I have no fucking room to You talk were. Here. You absolutely were. Oh, oh, you talked 100%. about Holden Caulfield like you had a crush on him, like he was a boy you knew. And like, yeah, that's also like so funny because Bella's like, oh, I had a crush on Romeo before I met Edward, but now I have to put aside my crushes for other men, like this fictional character. <laughs> um... The other thing that I will say about this is that Edward whispers all of Romeo's lines into Bella's ear as they're watching the movie. And I like, as I read that as an adult, I had like a visceral (laughs) disgust reaction. But I also know that when I read that as a teenager, I thought that was so hot. I was like, that's the pinnacle of romance. (laughs) It's so bad. I just like, wait, I'm (laughs) so... I went to go, I was trying to, I remember when I was reading this, I, like, was writing notes about this, and I wrote down something I wanted to mention about him whispering the lines in her ear. Uh, but when I went to go find it, 
the first thing that I saw um, <laughs> was uh, the fact that they mentioned that Edward has razor sharp teeth <laughs> on page 16. Do people not notice this? <laughs> How is it all of the teeth? Or is it just the two that, like, the regular vampire teeth? Like, does canonically does Edward have vampire teeth? Hold on, hold on, hold on. Razor sharp doesn't necessarily mean, like, all pointed. Like, they could be flat and sharp. Like, they might just look like normal teeth. How could you see that, though? Like, Bella can see his razor sharp teeth. I don't, I think Bella can see his teeth, but she knows that they're razor sharp. Like, she is not appraising them as razor sharp based on, like, the visual. She is synthesizing so the like, visual that she sees with previously learned information so like, about the quality so like of his teeth. looking at a human and being like, you are a blood-filled human. Like, yes, exactly. About you, it's not observable to the naked eye that I know about you, and I will ascribe it to you whether or not it is visible to the eye. I stared at my blood filled friend. Uh, anyways, I don't even care what to say about that anymore. We could go on. Um, so then they that's when they talk about this suicide. Is, this is the point at which they start talking about dying by suicide. Um, because apparently, Edward, uh, takes his social cues from Esme and just drops conversations about suicide into casual conversation. Um, so Edward says that he's jealous of Romeo. Uh, because <laughs> which, he like, could... Which, like, Bella is like, yeah, Juliet is really pretty. And it was, like, right <laughs> after the part where, like, Edward, Romeo, like, dies. And I'm like... Yes. Why do you, Why would you think? Oh, I'm jealous of him after he died because a hot girl For is this. there. <laughs> so Edward clarifies that the reason that he's jealous of Romeo is because he could kill himself whenever he wanted, and he tells Bella that when she was attacked last spring, he considered dying by suicide, which is, I think, meant to be read as romantic, but is actually super manipulative. Oh yeah, like For sure. unbelievably manipulative. Um. And so he tells her that he was making quote-unquote contingency plans that involved provoking the Volturi, and then he explains that the Volturi are an old, powerful vampire family in Italy. Um, this is incredibly heavy-handed foreshadowing. For those of you that don't know what's coming in the book, you will understand later. Um, Bella then tells Edward that he's never allowed to hurt himself no matter what happens to her, and then Edward asks her what she would do in his position, and she says that's not the same, and then they're like, haha, but that won't ever be a problem again, so we don't have to talk about it anymore. And then they just move on, I guess. Like, this conversation remains pretty much completely unresolved. Good Dad Charlie comes home with pizza, and then Bella immediately fucks off to Edward's, Um, which just makes me so sad that, like, Charlie's here trying to, like, do a nice thing on Bella's birthday, and Bella's like, okay, Dad, I'm gonna go hang out with my boyfriend and his family. Um, but also we've already established that everything about their relationship makes me sad, so that's nothing new. Um, they drive to the Cullen's weird glass mansion, which feels like some kind of metaphor that I'm too tired to unpack. Bella complains about the fact that everyone threw her a beautiful party because she's an ungrateful wretch. The lesser Cullen siblings get her a stereo for her car, and then the chapter ends with Bella starting to open Alice and Edward's present and giving herself a paper card. And then 
Jasper lunges towards her and tries to eat her. Edward knocks her into a table to protect her, but then she lands in the cake and also a bunch of broken glass and everybody loses their shit. That's the end of the chapter. Yeah, and I think that the main thing I really want to touch on from this chapter and from that last really intense scene is how did Jasper get through high school if a paper cut is enough to make him freak out? Like, did no one in school get paper cuts, nosebleeds, menstruate? Like, like I... I don't, the, the, okay, so the menstruation thing, I think maybe, like, because there's a layer of clothing between him and the blood, like, it's manageable. Because, like, he had this reaction to Bella, like, like, Bella's blood being exposed. Okay. But so still. I think, but, but paper cuts and nosebleeds, absolutely. Like, he was in a high school, like, I know they're saying he's newest, but he's been in high school for years. Like, if he can't Wasn't handle he? a paper cut, then how is he, why isn't he staying home from school? I don't get it. Like, wasn't he in the room when Bella was bleeding out in the dance studio? Like, he left the room really work? quickly, though, they said. Okay, I thought he and Emmett were the ones. Yeah, but Emmett grabbed James and brought him to the other room. Gotcha. Okay. Anyway. I don't have an answer for you, and once again, I will say that Stephanie Meyer's commitment to vampire lore extends only to where it is convenient for her in the plot, so. Yeah. Um, I was going to talk about her natal chart, but I think I'm going to save that. Um, so this is actually going to be possible uh, Patreon content, I think. I think that's a great thing to put on the Patreon. So, Y'all want to listen to us talk about Bella and Edward's birth charts? It's pretty good. So, um... We would totally do that for y'all. So we are part of the Orange Groves uh, Patreon. So if you want to go to patreon.com slash the Orange Groves, which is our network, um, and become a patron, that'd be really cool. We're going to be putting up content soon. Um, possibly, if y'all are interested, uh, shoot us a tweet at STBC Podcast um, and let us know. Possibly the natal chart. We're also talking about telling a really great story uh, from our high school uh, about a group. Ooh. Sorry, not a group. A coven of vampires. A coven of vampires. Um, we also are thinking about doing a Cullen family genogram. Uh, but that's that's all for another yeah, time. Yeah, I wasn't doing uh, here, but I think it's just too long. So let's move on. Um, I would like to talk about the fact that in this chapter, Bella says that she won't let Edward pay for her shit. Uh, like, he offered to pay for her to go to college, and she says no, because she would rather be a fucking undead yeah. monster. She says that college is plan B, uh, so we're to presume that plan A is just that she gets turned into she gets turned into It's kind of, although it's kind of, see, it's really unhealthy here, but, like, in Steven Universe, it's kind of, like, a healthy when, when uh, Greg's trying to figure out how to spend his money. And he's like, I could put you through college. He's like, but I've spent all my time with the gems. So. <laughs> like, I just don't understand why Bella is making decisions based on her desires to avoid aversive emotional experiences <laughs> and take, instead of taking committed action towards values that haven't been superimposed on her by an abusive partner. Why do I now want to do acceptance and commitment therapy with Bella Swan? I don't think this is what Stephen Hayes intended. Yeah. But here we are. But also, here we fucking I do are. want to point out, like, what you're saying is super true, but the other part of it is a part of uh, him not paying for shit, though, um, was kind of like Bella touching on, like, or I guess Stephanie Meyer, like, touching on class tension. 
Which when I was reading, I was like, is Stephanie Meyer really going there? Because she talks about how ever spending money on her, like, throws off the balance of power. And he, she's like, I'm not used to having money. Like, I've never had very much. And if ever keeps spending all this money, I mean, then, like, I owe him. And that, like, really throws it off. And, like, it makes me uncomfortable when people spend large amounts well, of money on me. Again, like, is that the power imbalance that no, she's, but she's most worried about? No, but I can understand what she's saying. Like, it's something that, like, already, like, they already have an incredibly skewed, uh, like, aspect of the relationship that she can't change that but she can control how much money he spends on her or doesn't like she can't control that he's way older than her and she can't control that he's a vampire oh. but she can control this element oh so this gives her a sense of control yes i thought stephanie okay. meyer actually did a really cool thing there and when i read it i was like wow interesting oh i like that take a whole lot better that makes me feel a little bit better about Do you have it. a favorite um, quote or can moment? I, can I tell you about my favorite moment yes. of this chapter? Apropos of literally nothing and with no further explanation or follow-up, Bella casually mentions to us that Emmett and Rosalie were in Africa. That's it. That's all she said. I think still are in Africa. She does not specify... She does not specify a country or what they were doing there, just apparently. Eating tigers tigers and lions. I guess. Um, No, and to answer your question, they're not still in Africa because they're at her birthday party. Yeah, I think she doesn't know that yet. He says that on the ride home. He's like, by the way, I mean everyone. And she's like, oh no, they're back. Anyways, um, my favorite part. What's your favorite part of this chapter? um, I'm going to read the quote to you. Well, Gran, (laughs) you might have noticed that my boyfriend glitters. It's just something that he does in the sun. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I love the moments that Bella and or these books seem self-aware. I think it's super like, funny. They're so, they're so few and far between, but they really do just bring us the much-needed levity. So, chapter um, two. Please. It's called Stitches. <laughs> Great. It's full of bitches. Oh, Anyways. Um... <laughs> I was gonna go with snitches, but bitches works too. Um, it's not full of snitches though. It is full of bitches though. Okay, so the first line, the first line of this chapter is, "Carlisle was the only one who stayed calm," which is followed by a description of everyone but Jasper just staying pretty fucking calm. Like Evan and Rosalie carry Jasper from the room. Uh, Esme like sweetly apologizes. She's like, oh, "I'm so sorry for my son," and goes outside. Um, and Alice hands Carlisle a towel, which is approximately how useful I would be in this situation as well. So <laughs> Carlisle gives Bella the choice. What a fucking concept of going. Oh wow! Someone finally asks Bella Swan what she wants to do in a crisis. Imagine that. So he's like, "Hey, darling." My lovely daughter-in-law. Do you want to go to the hospital or can we take care of you here? And unshockingly, Bella chooses to have the glass picked out of her on the kitchen table. Uh, because she wants to keep it from Charlie. Which, like, yeah. Because apparently we're just in Grey's Anatomy now where medical procedures happen in people's homes. Yeah, you know? Uh, because, like, yeah, but she wants to, yeah, she wants to keep it from Charlie because she's just like, uh... How does her police chief father, like, not already have some fucking questions about the amount of horrific injuries, like, she was receiving around the Collins? Really? I don't Like, how is he already know. questioning that? She's like, I can't come home with one more bloody limb. Like, uh, <laughs> but, like, not my kid, not my business, I guess. So, oh, Ever tries God. to stay in the room despite being horny as fuck for Bella's blood, but eventually is coaxed into going to find Jasper to calm him down. It's fine, it's good edging practice. Yeah, so, shortly after, Alice, who is bisexual, which is not relevant to the scene 
<laughs> but I just think you should all know. Um, also dips, uh, leaving Bella alone with Carlisle. And so Bella, fascinated by his ability to hang around her sexy blood, uh, begins to ask Carlisle how he manages. And, like, more importantly, why? And I thought this was, like, a really touching moment when I was reading it. Because I was like, wow, like, Bella's really showing, like, a genuine interest in another being. Yeah, I was... I was going to say, like, a Bella getting Carlisle to explain his choice to become a doctor and a vegetarian vampire is quite honestly some of the most compelling character narrative that we get in, like, at all in either book so far. Yeah, and so, like, I think I thought it was really great. Um, and it still was, but it just frustrates me because Meyer makes sure that I can never think for long that Bella was, like, truly invested in someone else and learning about them <laughs> uh, because she quickly states that the only reason she's asking is because she was wondering what it would be like going on in her mind when she becomes a vampire when keep in mind not if so she mentions not understanding like how he endured the years of struggle and self-denial which you would honestly think queen of edging bella would already be duly familiar with um you would think but like maybe that's actually like what appeals to her about the vegan vampire lifestyle so anyway carl explains uh how satisfying it feels to him to be able to use his enhanced ability to save someone who may not have otherwise been saved. Uh, to which Bella responds, you try very hard to make up for something that was never your fault. Which, like, I had to, like, stop. I, I stopped when I read that line. I was like, what? A good line! I feel like... I feel like this is something that I have probably said nearly verbatim to a client before. Yeah, I literally thought when I read this, like, if a therapist told me this, like, I might cry. <laughs> Like, I, yes, like, when I talk to people about, like, responsibility taking for other people's emotions, like, I have almost definitely said something kind of like that. I feel like my therapist, uh, after my ex-boyfriend, like, tried to kill himself, which, like, maybe I should have said trigger, okay, I'm gonna throw a trigger warning in the, um. There needs, there needs to be a, a death by suicide trigger warning on this episode. Anyway. Yeah, and all of New Moon. Um. Yes. Um. God. Yeah, we'll throw a trigger warning in there. That's important. But anyways, though, um, when my ex would try to kill himself, my therapist definitely said something, like, kind of like that, about how I was, like, trying to take care of everyone for something that, like, I didn't cause and stuff. Um, so anyway, so Bella uh, pushes further to, um, to ask why he thought to act in a different way in the first place. And I had to pause this part to really muse, like, about our heroine, because, like, Bella wants to become a vampire, and she wants to be a vegan vampire, but... Like, is the only reason because Edward is? Like, what are her values? Like, we don't know. Like, she was so ready to accept Edward killing people in the past because it, like, sounded reasonable. Like, if Bella hadn't met Edward, was she going to be one of those people who, like, marries, like, serial killers in prison? Which I think also begs the question, like, if Bella were to become a vampire under different circumstances... Or, like, if she had met Edward and Edward was just, like, a normal vampire that eats people, would she just be on board for eating people? I don't know, because, like, I don't know what her values are. I feel, yes, I feel like I said this earlier when I was talking about Bella taking committed action towards her own values. I think that Bella doesn't know what her values are because she is in a relationship with somebody who superimposes his values onto her. I feel like if I did a values questionnaire or, like, the values card sort with Bella Swan, it would be very different than what she would say to you What that her values were based on what Edward... This is, like, Buffy and Spike. I have not watched Buffy. Anyways. 
Like, she definitely would so, be like, as long as you don't eat me, it's chill. Anyways, so, getting back to it, Carlisle expands on what we already know of his history. Um, so his father, who was an uh, evangelical, had a brand of faith that Carlisle did not agree with. Um, so Carlisle continues to explain um, that despite everything, uh, even now, he still has never failed to believe in the existence of God. Um, and if you're into orientations of faith, uh, you might have, uh, you might say that his father had an extrinsic religious orientation, which is like viewing religion as a means to an end, like enforcing social norms, like uh, a way to maintain status quo. Um, whereas Carlyle's more at the intrinsic orientation, which is more akin to believing, uh, like the tenets of your religion are the like guiding force, like they are the ends instead of the means. We're just getting really in like fucking teaching people this time. Social work and theology, man. That's not what you thought you were gonna get from this podcast, and here we are. Welcome to season two. Um. <laughs> So he mentions to Bella that while they're probably damned anyway, he hopes that they get some credit for trying. Um, and Bella, who uh, we now learn is not religious, uh, is mentioned offhand. Um, yeah. Which we can talk about later, I think. Um, or do you want to talk about it now? No, I just think that it's really interesting that, like, Stephanie Meyer really makes a point out of telling us that Bella's an atheist in the middle of a very heavy-handed conversation about Carlisle's faith. Um, but then they just launch right into the vampire theology lesson. The only other thing I wanted to say is that the way that Carlisle talks about, like, wanting to do good in his life in order to, like, get some kind of reward, it just makes me think of the good place. I thought the same thing. When I was rereading this. I was thinking the same, the same thing. I was like, oh, it's, never mind. Okay. We're not going to spoil the good place for you. Um. No. But fucking catch up. Um, Anyways, so, um, Bella's like, I can't imagine a deity who would not think Carlisle's good, and agrees that he will likely at least get some, like, extra credit points for saving so many lives and not killing people. And so Carlisle, uh, informs Bella that she's the first person to agree with him on the matter. And so in an incredibly dramatic scene that I will have to read out loud to y'all, it's, like, subtly, but I didn't realize it was dramatic until I was, like, until, like, I reread that page, and then I was like, wait a second. So, um, Carlyle finally gives us the vital background we need to understand why the hell Edward won't just turn Bella into a goddamn vampire. Because um, it, it doesn't make any sense. And he said, okay, so here's how it goes. Edward's with me up to a point. God and heaven exist. So does hell. But he doesn't believe there's an afterlife for our kind. Carlyle's voice was very soft. He stared out the big window over the sink. Into the darkness. You see, he thinks we've lost our souls. And so after this fucking revelation, Bella's like, oh, God, why is everyone being such a little bitch about turning me into a vampire? My body, my choice. Uh, To which Carlisle points out that consent is a two-way street, and Bella points out for the millionth time that Edward isn't the only one capable of turning her into a vampire, uh, which Carlisle backs the fuck away from as hard as possible. Um, in a very, in an effort to cheer Harry up, Hagar decides to tell the tale of Harry's parents' death moment. Uh, Carlisle <laughs> We love wizard people, aloud. dear reader. We really do love wizard people, dear reader. Please watch it. Um, but in a moment very akin to that moment, Carlisle reflects, reflects aloud about the choices that he has made. In particular, he starts to explain 
um, his choice to turn Edward into a vampire. So I would like to take a moment to remind all of you that this entire scene is taking place while Carlisle stares out of a black window. Um, and he continues to do facing so while away, explaining the following. Facing um, away from Bella like he's in a play. Like, Yes. Um, so he, is, while staring blankly out the window, explains that it was Edward's mother, Elizabeth Mason, who made him decide to turn Edward into a vampire. So... Um, Edward Sr. had already died from influenza by the time that Carlisle, like, found Edward and his mom. Elizabeth and Edward were on their way out as well. Um, and he explains that Harry had his mother's green eyes. I'm sorry that Edward had his mother's green eyes. Um, and one day, in a scene just fit for a horror film, his mom grabs Carlisle by the arm and instructs him to save her son using all of the powers at his disposal he has to do what others cannot do. So Carlisle is convinced that Elizabeth knows somehow that he has some kind of secret power that can save Edward. Um, so right after Elizabeth dies, Carlisle does what any one of us who wore a grout fit to Cadaver Lab would have done, <laughs> which is to wheel Elizabeth's corpse into the morgue uh, and then carry Edward spider monkey style across the rooftops of Chicago, barely living... Um, Marius carrying Javert through the story. <laughs> um, um, it's not Javert, is it? It's Jean Valjean. Um, anyway. It's the opposite way around. It's Jean Valjean carrying Marius through the sewer. I don't know what's happening. I didn't pay attention to any part of that play except for the part where Eponine is sad. And that's all that you need to know about me as a teenager. Also, Sahaba um, and I definitely on many occasions have sat in the car next to each other just like scream singing I dreamed a dream while crying <laughs> and a little fall like, of rain although I wouldn't dream I wouldn't sing a little fall of rain as much no wait both of us had different songs but one of us would sing harder than the other one because it was out of the other one's vocal range mine was mine is I sing on my own to myself all the time still yes same <laughs> anyway um so anyway uh, Carlisle carries Edward through the streets of Chicago. Um, I'm just, like, imagining, like, Carlisle, like, squatting on top of the blue line train, just, like, holding <laughs> Edward in his arms. But, like, the scene from um, Into the Spider-Verse. <laughs> yeah. Um, of course, he didn't really know how to create a vampire, so he just inflicts every wound he received during his own transformation. Um, but what he tragically fails to leave out, and the submission honestly is a sin that God will never forgive him for, is if he also buried Edward in a pile of rotting potatoes. Inquiring minds need to know. So Edward, of course, walks in at the exact moment, um, like, current times. Um, and he has Alice get Bella a shirt that isn't splattered in blood to go home in. Although, honestly, I'm not sure if Charlie is observant enough to have noticed that Bella walks in, like, with a fucking blood soaked shirt. But anyways, whatever. So just gives her, like, another shirt similar color. It's like, Charlie's not gonna notice. Like, <laughs> literally what she says. She's like, yeah, Esme had a shirt that looked kind of like mine. Charlie's not gonna know what the fuck is going on. So Bella just, like, walks awkwardly out of the house with, the presence, with her presence in tow and proceeds to share a silent car ride with Edward. Uh, big shock. Edward doesn't ask her how she's doing, if her arm hurts or anything. He just sits there silently, presumably because garbage can't talk. So Bella finally... <laughs> 
Bella oh, finally man. cracks and demands that he say something. And he te- he's, she's like, tell me you forgive me. And he's like, forgive you. And they proceed to have the same dumbass fight that they always have, which can be summarized as yeah. follows. It's my fault. No, it's my fault. How's it your fault? Because I'm bad. No, I'm bad. Mike Newton would be better for you because he is a human and I am a vampire. But also, if you ever date Mike Newton, I will burn myself alive. <laughs> I would rather die than date Mike Newton than perish. That's the whole fight. It's always that fight. It is gross, though, that in this fight in particular, he says, stop saying it's your fault. It only makes me more disgusted with myself because intentional or not, that's manipulative as fuck. Red flag. That is my red flag for this week is that Edward manipulates her by saying like stop saying it's your fault because that makes me feel worse actually. Or that like this traumatic experience that she just went through is something that really is impacting him. Yes. Anyways. Like he is he is centering himself in the way that this thing is impacting him above how it may have impacted Bella considering that she almost just got eaten by one of her boyfriend's siblings but again neither here nor there. So they eventually get home and Bella convinces Edward to stay because now they're just like not fighting anymore. And so he goes up to her room with her presence in tow. And, you know, it never explicitly says how he gets into her room every night. So like, I can't decide if it's funnier to me if he just like jumps all the way up to her window <laughs> or if he scales the wall. Like, Isn't there a tree? I thought there was a tree oh, that might make more sense. that he climbed or some shit. I don't think it explicitly mentions it. I mean, probably in the book there is one just to, or in the movie just to like explain it, but... Anyway, so Bella walks in, Charlie gives precisely no shits, and Bella has a bandaged arm, which, like, alarms me, because, again, he is a police chief, and Bella comes home with, like, serious injuries frequently from the Collins, and he's just chill with it? Like, he's really starting to make me question, like, your good dad cred, Charlie. So, for real, like, if I if I came home that frequently with injuries, I don't think my parents would have continued to let me leave the house without supervision. Yeah. I don't know. So Bella runs upstairs to Edward, who is sitting holding her presence. And so, so she's okay. So he's wondering to get any more life-ending paper cuts. So Edward opens them for her. And the first is revealed to be a ticket to one of the top 10 swamp towns, Jacksonville, Florida. <laughs> Bortles! <laughs> my, my, one of my attorney friends is from Jacksonville or from Gainesville. I forget which, but he definitely confirmed that Jacksonville is definitely one of the top ten swamp towns. He said it was number two and that Gainesville was number one. Um, So her and Edward are uh, both surprised. So so they both get to go visit her mom, which makes Bella ecstatic, even though I don't really understand how that would ever work. And so Edward's just mad because he finds out that Bella can, like, enjoy a gift that someone spent money on. He's mad that he had to, like, shirk capitalism and make a handmade gift when he could have just done something with no thought or effort instead. (laughs) Um... Bella, however, opens his gift, which is revealed to be a CD full of his own piano compositions. And Bella is uh, really touched by this, uh, like, shockingly thoughtful present. I was going to say, like, I genuinely think that this is a pretty sweet gift. Like, I did something sort of like this for a friend as a birthday gift recently. And I think that, like, it was well received. So I used to just make mix CDs and those were, which I'll touch actually on that in a little bit. Um, But, like, I think this is quite a nice gift. I agree. So, um, Bella's, yeah, so, like, she's like, I love it. Can I make out with you? And he's like, yes, you can make out with me. (laughs) And everyone's like, someone in this book asked for consent? Because she's like, hey, I would like to kiss you for my birthday, but don't do anything you don't want to do. Yes, I, I wrote about this, too. Like, the fact that she 
checks in with him about whether or not he would like to kiss her is the first time anyone at any point in either of these books has asked for consent. I think Bella has in the past, like, once other time at least, but I don't know. But anyways, though, definitely no one to her. So they make out uh, pretty fiercely, and it's, like, it's actually pretty hot. Um, and eventually... Ed- I guess. It's, like... It's, like, vanilla and boring, but it's, like, not, like, gross, because it's just the making out, so it's, like, the descriptions are still, like, just, like, average and nice. It's, like, twisted hands in my hair and shit. Like, that's just, like, average, nice, good stuff. Um, shut the fuck up. It's pretty decent compared to the other book. (laughs) I'm not, like, jerking off to it. I didn't say anything. I definitely did as a 16-year-old. As a 16-year-old, I I definitely jerked off to this. Cute buddy- Okay, listen. Don't pretend uh, you didn't. What? I absolutely did not. You I would never lot. as a... No, listen. I, as a teenager, I promise you that my thought process was like, I can't sully this, like, beautiful, perfect relationship with masturbation. I don't... Bel- like, I held this up as the pinnacle of romance. Well, wait, wait, wait. Because I was You couldn't stupid. sully the romance with your with your horny desires? Like, you yes. were too chaste? No, I just... No, literally, you had that, to keep like, yourself I pure didn't... for Edward. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's what I meant. That's what I just heard. Sahada had to keep herself pure for Edward, which is why she's a hoe today. So, <laughs> you heard it here first, Edward Cullen was my slut root. So, <laughs> eventually, Edward pulls away, you know, um, because of, like, chastity or bloodlust or something, and Bella Who asked, you know, in a sexy, cool way, um, that doesn't at that all- con- the worst part of this whole chapter. <laughs> asks in a sexy, cool, cool way that doesn't at all confirm my theory that she's into Vore, um, which is tempting you more, um, my blood or my body? And Edward's what? like, it's a tie. And Bella just snuggles <laughs> the fuck up to him after that. And then just, like, briefly ponders in what is the least subtle foreshadowing of all time, um, how this kiss feel- felt a lot like the kiss when Edward left to go chase James. Mm-hmm. Why does this kiss feel like a goodbye? But don't worry, dear readers, chapter three is called The End, which I'm sure will have nothing to do with that nagging feeling. Um, but who knows? We'll find out next week. <laughs> that is where we leave off, uh, friends and lovers. There are a couple points we have to touch on before we leave, though. Um, yeah. For, First of all. Okay, one really quick thing. Um, I yes. really like when it's like, um, he goes to get her Tylenol and she's like, you can't leave the room. Charlie will see you. And he's like, I'll be quick. And he is. And she's like, yeah, Charlie can't find out. He'd be so upset. Although, it wasn't as if we were up to anything he wouldn't want me to be up to. I know. Edward and his rules. Like, like <laughs> Bella is so mad that she's not getting dick. She's so ready to bone down. Like, she's like, if I had what I wanted and Edward wasn't such a fucking prude about it, like, she's trying to get that sweet Marvel vampire dick. Real hard. So what was your favorite part? My favorite part of this whole chapter is the fact that Stephanie Meyer tells us explicitly that Bella now keeps her special sleepover pajamas in the bathroom. They're new ones. <laughs> they're new. She bought them. But they're like cotton pajama Edward. pants. 
Yes, they're cotton pajama pants and a matching tank top. And we know already that Bella Swan has access to sexy Victoria's Secret pajamas because her mom bought them for her. Why didn't she bring them back from Phoenix? There's a lot of good questions there. Do you want to know my favorite part? It's actually my least favorite part. Absolutely, I do. It's my least favorite part. So I mentioned before about how I used to make mix CDs for people. And I spend a lot of effort when I make mix CDs. Okay, so like... When I make mix CDs, I like I I draw cover art. I like put the track. Mm-hmm. I crack open the back. I put the track listing in. It's mm-hmm. like it's a whole thing. I write liner notes. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, if you want to. S- um, didn't you do this for our high school econ teacher? Yes, and he messaged me on Facebook about it. Listen, within the past year, and was like, "Look what I found." <laughs> We were all definitely trying to sleep. I was not. I actually legitimately wasn't. He just mentioned he had that picture of him and Sufjan on his teacher page. On his, uh, yes, I remember On his teacher page. And I was like, hey, have you heard the song You Are the Blood off of uh, Dark Was a Night? The compilation, like the compilation, the compilation, (laughs) the compilation album that they did to raise money for charity. And he was like, what? I thought I've heard every Sufjan song. What is this song? I'm like, I'll put it on a mix CD for you. And then Amazing. that's why I made it for him. Yeah, one time I walked into his classroom and he was playing Andrew Bird, and so then we talked about Andrew Bird for like five minutes. Did you masturbate oh, to that? Wait. Probably. So that you weren't keeping yourself here <laughs> for him. <laughs> Listen, I resent the notion that I was trying to keep myself here for anybody. Pure romance. Uh, um, anyways, tell no, 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 me no, no, about no, 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 your no, so, okay, no, I have to. I have to. Okay, no. Anyways, but so <laughs> what Edward does though is he gives her a fucking blank ass CD in a clear jewel case, and I'm like, uh-huh. bitch, you couldn't get your fucking artist sister to fucking draw you Mm-mm. some cover art. You couldn't Mm-mm. bother to write a track listing. Mm-mm. You couldn't even write fucking Bella's no. mix of a fucking CD. No, Bella's mix that upset me. Anyway, unbelievable. So, anything else? Are we good to fucking end I, here? I think I am tapped the fuck out, man. New Moon really took it out of me. So, thank you for listening. You know, I actually legitimately liked Chapter 2, though. I think it was maybe the best writing so far. I also would like to say that we almost also did Chapter 3 in this episode. And I'm so glad we didn't, because Chapter 3 is 40 pages long, and I don't know if y'all are It might be in one episode it- on its own. We are about to get all up in all of our I think feelings. the next two episodes are probably going to be one chapter episodes because they're like really intense chapters. So get fucking ready. So, yeah. Um, so thank you for listening to the first episode of season two of Summer Twilight Book Club. Uh, brought to you hot and ready on our new network, The Orange Groves. Uh, please go check out the other shows in the network. We already know you love podcasts about niche interests, which means we know you love uh, you'll love the other shows. Like, Sahana is very, uh... Listen, I would love you all to know that of all of my accomplishments at this point in my life, I think the thing that teenage Sahana would be the proudest of is the fact that I have a Twilight podcast on the same network as a Fallout Boy podcast. That was really my highest inspiration uh, my highest aspiration, I'm sorry, as a teenager, I think. So if you are like me, still as like a full functioning adult, 
uh, living your best, take this to your grave life, I would highly recommend that Sugar, you Sugar, we're going listen. down podcasting. Yes. F O B podcast. Or F O B cast, rather. Yeah. Fucking listen to it. Anyways, uh, please consider becoming a patron on our Patreon over at patreon.com slash the orange groves. Um, it's really going to help. It's really, you know, it's really going to make us feel really special and sexy if you did. And you know how much we love to feel special and sexy. So speaking of which, we're also, again, currently working on some creating some super special content for the Patreon. So please, please tweet at us at STBC Podcast and let us know if there's anything you would like to, uh, you would like us to make you, um, that would make you want to give us your sweet, sweet money. Um, if you don't already follow us on Twitter, please do. Um, if you haven't already reviewed us on iTunes, I really only have one question. Why do you hate giving us the love and attention uh, and validation that we crave? You're making me cry right now. We're just making, we're just making this podcast to get our needs met. We love you all so much. Thank you for sticking with us back next week with that sweet vampire content. Bye, baby. Bye. (laughs) 